Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers, and you have just connected to Parkinson's Recovery. I am on the shores of the Puget Sound, where I must say we are enjoying the first totally gorgeous day of the spring. It is a beautiful world indeed. In my last edition of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, I actually wrote a section, this would have been back a year ago, about a connection between candida and Parkinson's disease. And I must confess, I was a bit reticent to actually keep that as in a component of the book, uh, because no one else really out there in the universe, to my knowledge, had really identified such a connection. After the book uh, came out, uh, I actually received some correspondence from several readers who said, oh, by the way, I just found an article that says exactly what you were speculating about. Somebody who, in a scientific way, shows that there is, in fact, a logical and scientific and medical reason why there is a profound and direct connection between candida, which basically is a yeast infection in the body, and the symptoms of Parkinson's. Well, I'm, I'm delighted and pleased and excited today to be able to tell everyone that uh, my guest is the author, or one of the co-authors, of that article, Lydia Epp, who has an absolutely, hold on to your seats, incredible story to tell about uh, how she came to the conclusion that Candida was playing a role in the particular neurological symptoms that she happened to be experiencing, as well as her former husband and her current husband. So it's an incredible story. Lydia, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, your story started uh, back a while ago, and as I understand it, uh, the origins uh, concern uh, Parkinson's symptoms that were being experienced uh, by your ex or former husband some years ago. Yes, uh, yes. I think I need to start, um, well, from the beginning probably would be a good point. Um, my, uh, I got married uh, to my ex-husband in uh, 1990, and it was um, probably about a year later I uh, started to experience some uh, issues with my health that I haven't experienced ever before. And uh, it, there was, of course, at that point, there was absolutely no connection to uh, anything. I just started to notice strange new things about my health popping up here and there. And um, let me tell you a little bit about those symptoms as they, um, as those health issues as they later, it became obvious they are part of my larger story. But um, about a year into our marriage, I noticed that um, I developed some skin issues. And I actually went to see a dermatologist about it, and he told me that basically I, um, well, these are just uh, age spots, which was kind of strange because I was 30. And um, maybe it's connected with me taking oral contraceptives, and I shouldn't worry too much about it. And um, a lot of women have similar um, uh, problems, and it's nothing of concern. And so basically he brushed me off. Um, I noticed um, uh, these were kind of 
freckle, freckle-like spots, but they were irregular. And another uh, a new and strange thing that happened to me around the same time, I stopped tanning. I used to be, uh, I used to tan easily. I, I am kind of outdoorsy person, and I spend a lot of time outdoors. And um, I noticed that I'm not tanning anymore. No matter how many uh, hours I spend outside playing tennis or walking or doing whatever in a garden, I don't tan. And uh, on the top of that, I, I got those uh, dark blotches on my skin. So that was my first symptoms. Then a year later, I developed uh, several so-called seasonal allergies. And uh, these allergies were uh, ranging from uh, a stuffy nose and sneezing and watery eyes to uh, really debilitating severe headaches during especially um, early spring when when the pollen season starts. And uh, I never had that before. I was, like I said, an outdoorsy person. And uh, I never had any problems with allergies. And suddenly I was taking uh, different nasal sprays and allergy claritin, whatever was available at the time, which really didn't elevate my problems. So, um, well, basically, I was again told that I have to just resign to the fact that I started to, um, sometimes later in life, we can develop seasonal allergies, and it's nothing that unusual about it. Well, so I took my Nasonex and Claritin, and um, uh, I walk around with watery eyes and sneezing 20 times at a time and thinking that, well, that's just the way life's going to be for me. Um, then I developed, um, it, it might not be necessarily in the exact time frame as I'm telling you all those different symptoms, but they kind of crept up one at a time. I um, noticed that uh, my back was hurting me more often. I never had problems with back before, and suddenly I was experiencing um, uh, pains in my lower and mid-back. I went to see a chiropractor, and he told me I developed some um, uh, mild to moderate uh, spurs in my vertebrae. And, of course, chiropractor helped me some, but not that much, and I had to suffer through those bouts of pain uh, that would go away, but not exactly, and then, then I had them again. So... Um, that was uh, several of those symptoms that were completely, um, seemingly not connected with one another. And um, um, I think it was uh, mid to uh, upper 90s, 96, 97, when my ex-husband uh, noticed some very um, disturbing symptoms um, in himself. And eventually, long story short, uh, he went to see uh, his family, uh, our family physician, and he uh, sent him immediately to see a neurologist. And uh, a neurologist diagnosed him uh, eventually with early onset of Parkinson's disease. That was, uh, he was at the time, uh, if I do my math correctly, 43. Um, and uh, it, at that time, I'm I'm telling you all those things as they happened, but uh, back then I did not connect them. Uh, of course, there was absolutely no connection between my 
seasonal allergies with with my ex-husband's diagnosis for Parkinson's disease. I did not know at that point that they were in any way related. And so, um, oh gosh, uh, what would you like me to say next? Uh, whether um, about maybe my ex-husband uh, Parkinson's a little bit more, or more on my side of the story? Well, I'm sure people would just be interested to know what the next chapter was. So there was you with your issues, and there was him with his issues. We're on the edge right. of our seat. So what happened next? <laughs> okay. Um, well, he was, uh, like I said, he was in his mid-early 40s, and he was very active, like me. Uh, we were avid tennis players, um, runners, and uh, uh, he tried to continue with his active lifestyle, but it was um, increasingly difficult because uh, his Parkinson's was prog- progressing really rapidly. I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you that many details about my ex-husband since I don't have any um, contact with him anymore and I really don't have his permission to um, talk too much about, you know, to talk about uh, his his uh, health condition back then, but uh, I believe that it was a part of my life as well, so in that context I'm sure um, he won't mind sharing me sharing uh, some details of, of his struggle with his health. Um, his Parkinson's was not very... Um, responsive to uh, uh, initial treatment, and uh, uh, forgive me, but I do not remember exactly uh, what was the um, original therapy, but I believe they originally, initially they put him on uh, levodopa, and uh, it it took quite a bit um, of time and uh, the medication to uh, see some kind of noticeable improvement in his condition. And then um, around the same time, I think he uh, got in touch with um, a renowned uh, neurologist, neuropathologist in a big university in the state where we used to live, and um, we were delighted to finally have a basically a, a national authority on the subject to, to, to see him. It was really um, very promising. And that was um, the doctor that first prescribed him um, Mirapix. I know that uh, there is much more awareness of that drug nowadays. Back then, it was still experimental drug, and I believe he enrolled as a part of a clinical trial. And uh, it, there was absolutely nothing known about the uh, side effects of the uh, Mirapix. And uh, <clears throat> My ex-husband didn't respond uh, like his doctor would have hoped for. Uh, actually, all of his uh, Parkinson's drugs kind of help, but not really. So they help to some degree. But the uh, disease was progressing quite rapidly, and uh, no matter what the dosage of, of his uh, medication he took, there was still some symptoms remaining, so the doctor was really disappointed in um, the, um, uh, I would say, the degree of improvement, of relief that my ex-husband was getting from all those drugs. Mirapix seemed to work the best, but at very, um, well, large doses. And as uh, I'm sure your listeners 
uh, at least some of them uh, are aware, and if they are not, maybe they should look into it. Mirapex has severe side effects, and uh, these are um, mostly psychological, psychiatric side effects. Uh, the uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder kicks in, uh, irrational behavior, aggression. Uh, you can go online and read about it. It's, there is a wealth of information about it right now. Unfortunately for me and for my ex-husband, um, he had really severe reaction. Uh, he had a lot of the side effects present because of his therapy with Mirapex, and, uh, uh, well, our uh, life took turn for much worse. Um, he became, um, well, I should say, his personality changed drastically. And uh, our marriage was on the rocks because of that, and I seeked um, help from uh, professionals, uh, medical professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists. Um, I tried to contact uh, the neurologist originally prescribed the Mirapix, and basically he brushed me off. Uh, he was not aware of any side effects, and he basically told me, well, just enjoy the life that you have and don't worry about, yes, well, maybe his personality changed somewhat, wouldn't your personality change if you would have been diagnosed with Parkinson's? And I suppose there's a grain of truth to it, so I said, okay, well, I will take the good with the bad. And, but uh, things gotten progressively to the point where um, my uh, ex-husband decided that uh, he wants out of marriage, and uh, we promptly got a divorce uh, because of, um, well, his new and... Uh, uh, uncontrollable, uncontrollable um, uh, obsessive-compulsive symptoms. It became really a relief for me to to um, get away from the relationship that was no longer what we used to have. He at this time was on heavy doses of Mirapex. Um, I believe he was taking Levodopa, and his Parkinson's was still progressing rapidly. So uh, I moved out to another state, to another town got a different job, and uh, lost touch with him. Uh, it, in the meantime, from uh, friends, common friends, I've heard stories that uh, his Parkinson's is still, um, well, it, it, it's progressing. And uh, because of his profession, he is um, also a geneticist, and uh, it, it became almost impossible for him to perform his duties because of the uh, uh, shaking of Parkinson's, and so his life did not look good for him, as far as I could tell from, from a little information that I had that um, our friends told me, told me about him. So um, in the meantime, now I'm skipping a few years, uh, I met my, it sounds terrible, my current husband. Uh, his name is Bob, so um, he gave me permission. To ah, good on. name. <laughs> so his name is Bob, and uh, a few years later we got married, and uh, uh, we would have lived happily ever after. However, after about a year of marriage, our marriage, Bob noticed that he suddenly became um, allergic to uh, pollen. 
he developed back pain. He developed severe migraines. He developed uh, severe skin rashes. And uh, then we paused and we said, you know what? This is not a coincidence. It cannot be. Um, And uh, actually, I have to praise Bob, who by profession is a pilot. But he spent days and nights relentlessly looking through the information, mostly on the Internet, to find how is it possible, what possibly could be mildly contagious disease that would cause those symptoms, and it would take years to develop. And he was the first one, uh, I think it was 3 o'clock in the morning, when he woke me up and he says, I found it. <laughs> That's and great. He woke you up then. <laughs> he, he was on the Internet. I just could not persuade him to, to you know, take a break and, and slow down. He was on a mission. that He's going to find what is going on. At this point, we knew something something is going on. That is, It's not a coincidence that uh, we both previously very healthy, uh, you know, um, middle-aged people suddenly develop um, the same health issues. And it happened to me before when I married my ex-husband. Now Bob is married to me, and a year later he developed the same symptoms. What symptoms were were you experiencing at the time when he woke you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, aha, I I figured it out? Let me just tell you, I was a mess. I was, um, if you look on candida, chronic candidiasis um, symptoms, and it's a long list of them, I would say I had 80% of them. I I was uh, fatigued. I was depressed. I, w- I had severe skin rashes. I had uh, a constant problem with my GI upset. Um, I uh, it had severe migraines. My migraines were absolutely debilitating at this point. I, it could go on for three days. Uh, I was unable, you know, that kind of migraine that um, <clears throat> can look at yeah. the light and cannot hear any sounds because it hurts. Um then I also, oh, I had a surgery for my back because my back uh, was a mess. I had um, a, a problems with my uh, the spurs uh, uh, in my vertebrae, and I also uh, <clears throat> developed a herniated and then eventually ruptured uh, disc uh, because uh, candida does uh, weak, weaken your cartilage. Um, now I know. Uh, I didn't know it back then. Um my gosh, I had a myriad, just really uh, 80% of the very long list of uh, uh, candida symptoms, I had them all. And um, Bob's first symptoms, especially one that bothered him the most, was uh, uh, rushes. He had he had uh, severe skin problems um, since we, well, after like maybe, um, oh, half a year to a year after we met. So anyway, uh, so it became obvious that uh, there is a common denominator to all of that. And finally Bob found it. He didn't know much about it. He says, look, there are some scientific papers. I don't know all that stuff. Why don't you read it? But I think that's, that's the thing that we both have. 
so that was uh, when I started to dig into it, and sure enough, as the more I read, and uh, that was in um, early 200s, 200, I mean 2001, 2003, I want to say, yes, 2003. Back then, uh, there was really not that much uh, information about uh, chronic candidiasis online, and uh, I have to say there is a lot of bad information online. Um, there is some very good information and there is some very bad. Just because somebody posted it online doesn't make it so. And people post the strangest things. And if you come unprepared and you start reading um, indiscriminately, you can wind up with some strange websites and strange advice. So I, just my word of caution to whoever is going to do any uh, research online on that issue. I believe things change, and now there is much more legitimate research uh, published online. But but back then, it was people trying to sell you all kinds of strange herbal remedies, um, and uh, it, it, the, the real solid information was really scarce. But after doing that research, I realized um, that, yes, indeed, Bob is right. <laughs> this is the candida that we are experiencing. And my first question was, how do we get rid of it? And so that that lead, led me to uh, um, Dr. Orion Tress, who was a physician. I don't know if he's around anymore. He was a gentleman in his 80s when I um, met him because I, I just called and I asked if I can fly to Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama to be his patient. Uh, because I'm that desperate, and so is my husband, and he is the authority on the subject. And uh, is there any chance that uh, he can see us? And uh, he said yes. And uh, so next thing I know, I was uh, on the on the plane to to um, Birmingham, Alabama, to see Dr. Truss, and he was, I believe, 82 at the time, which was mid 20 2004 2003. And he was still practicing, and that is his specialty. That's all he did. Uh, his uh, practice was uh, treating patients with uh, chronic candidiasis. And it was such a relief because he was the first person that I could talk to, and he didn't tell me that I am hypochondriac, that I there's nothing wrong with me, that I should just take some um, over-the-counter Claritin and everything is going to be fine. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I um, I was diagnosed with uh, something called um, A-specific environmental asthma, which basically meant that, well, you have something that looks like asthma, but we don't know what it is, and we don't know where it came from. And uh, it was um, shortness of breath, uh, a kind of heavy feeling in my chest, and... Um, a, a persistent dry cough. I went to initially. I went to see my um, family physician about it. You know, I will back up a little bit if you don't mind. I hope I'm not confusing anybody, but uh, I will back up a little bit. Before I saw Doctor Truss, I tried. Since we figured out that it was a candida, we we decided that we're going to try our luck with our family physician. And uh, I went to see, actually both Bob and I, we made an appointment to see our family physician together. 
and uh, uh, when we went there, uh, it, we told her the story. She looked at us like we're from another planet, and uh, basically she told us, well, there is no such a thing like chronic candidiasis. And um, we said, well, but that's what we believe we have. And she answered as well, you know, when I was in medical school, they didn't teach us about chronic candidiasis that would attack your entire body, basically, different tissues. And um, she was extremely skeptical. She thought we are one of those strange people who believe that they read something online and suddenly they know something about medicine and they think they are almost professional. And um, also, I think she 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 decided that we both are kind of hypochondriac. Uh, we talk ourselves into being sick to some kind of mysterious disease that doesn't exist. And um, at that point, I uh, I think I, well, I went to see a, a, a ear, throat, and nose specialist, and then they told me I have this non-specific uh, environmental asthma and gave me an inhaler uh, that didn't help. Um, my doctor decided that uh, my, for my um, other problems, maybe I have some kind of uh, bacterial infection and prescribed me broad-spectrum spectrum antibiotics that didn't help. However, there is this thing. Uh, if you are on a broad-spectrum antibiotic, especially those... Um, uh, most recent ones, they do have a component that is anti-inflammatory. So uh, candida does cause a, a lot of inflammation um, inside in in your um, respiratory tract, in uh, your GI tract. So if you're taking antibiotic that has uh, that component, it actually helps. So I felt somewhat better. And uh, as soon as I stopped taking antibiotic, I would go back to where I was and actually got worse. And the same uh, thing repeated itself with the uh, inhaler. Inhaler um, uh, constricts your uh, vessels, uh, blood vessels in your uh, respiratory tract. So it did help some during the time that I was taking it, but as soon as I stopped taking it, it didn't help at all. So uh, it... it you will, you can experience some relief from the symptoms because of those uh, uh, anti-inflammatory components in those drugs, but that doesn't mean that the drug is is the one that you should be taking. And that's exactly what happened to me with uh, one antibiotic after another, and one inhaler after another. I was really going downhill very fast. My back pain was just unbearable. My migraines were just horrible. I had two, three days of every week being completely incapacitated because of my migraines. Um, so that's when I uh, decided to see Dr. Uh, Tress, and uh, he, uh, it, it was like, really, uh, I couldn't believe. Uh, he just he knew exactly, he, fin he was finishing my sentences for me. When he asked me uh, what are my symptoms, how I'm feeling, he would literally finish my sentences for me. And it was such a relief. 
finally uh, I'm sitting at a doctor's office, and here is a medical professional who knows what I'm talking about, who doesn't think I'm crazy, who doesn't think I'm just talking myself to being sick, who knows my symptoms, and in the end he tells me that he can help me. So uh, that's how I started um, uh, taking um, nystatin. And uh, it's a, it's an antifungal drug um, uh, that is very safe. Um, I don't know if you want me to tell you the story what nystatin is, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah, oh, I think uh, lots of people would want to hear that. It's an antifungal drug? Yes, it's an antifungal drug, and it's actually very safe. It's actually given to um, uh, infants for uh, oral thrush, and uh, it has absolutely no side effects. If you take too much of it, you might get nauseous, but that's that's the only thing. Uh, it is um, actually it is called antibiotic because what antibiotic means? It's antibiotic. So this is uh, bacteria that kills the fungi. It is, was discovered why it's nystatin and why. It's because it was discovered by uh, researchers, uh, microbiologists in, I believe, 1935 or somewhere around that time in New York State. They were looking at uh, farms, and there were farms where cows would have uh, fungal disease. And so they couldn't uh, uh, take milk from those cows. And then there was one farm in New York State that cows did not any fungal diseases. And so they were taking um, uh, microbiology um, uh, uh, streaking plates for microbiology from those cows. What is a microorganism that those cows have on the skin that prevents them from having a fungal infection. And that was a bacterium that uh, uh, basically it eats fungus. Like, um, I mean, it's one uh, organism kills the other one. And so nystatin is the uh, purified powder form of that bacterium. And that's that's what it does. It feeds on yeast, and uh, it is, uh, I don't know, maybe they developed something better since I took nystatin, but that was the best medication that you can have for candida. Now, it has to be in powder form, and oftentimes for infants, they give it in solution, and um, they put tons of sugar in it, and sugar is the last thing you want to eat when you have a candida. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Truss, uh, I didn't know back then, but he told me the only form of nystatin that would work was that pure powdered form, and you just mix it up with a little bit of water and drink it. It, Believe me, it tastes horrible, but I wanted to drink it all day. As soon as I... <sighs> now, now, who makes this? Where, where do you get this? I... It was a compounding pharmacy in Birmingham, Alabama, that I bought it from, it has to be written by prescription. And here is the thing. If you take an nystatin, but you don't um, follow the whole regimen, then don't bother. Because it is, it's the whole different way of life. 
that you and and there is no shortcuts. Uh, you have to do it. And nystatin is just one. It's a very important um, uh, segment of that uh, therapy, but it's not the whole thing. So uh, don't um, please don't get an impression that if you just if I just find somebody who can prescribe me in this nystatin, I'll be fine. It is only portion of a story, and I'll get to that the rest of the story in just a moment. But um, uh, we did follow the regimen uh, uh, that Dr. Trust recommended, and there is his book. It's called Missing Diagnosis by Dr. Orion Trust, and you can buy it on Amazon, I think. Um, this is the best book that I've seen. Uh, uh, Dr. Trust is one of those physicians that you wish all physicians would be like him. He he is very professional. He is very no extremely knowledgeable in subjects. Um he um really researched the the issue and um he is actually the first one that named and first diagnosed the symptoms, the the uh, chronic candidiasis. The name comes from him. Um uh, he was a practicing physician in the hospital, and he noticed um, some patients that had symptoms, which now are known as chronic polysystemic candidiasis. Back then, they were just patients that wouldn't respond well to anything, and they would keep coming back to, to, to see him. And eventually, he made he was the first one that made the connection. He wrote uh, a couple books about it, Recently, he wrote uh, Missing Diagnosis 2, and I haven't read that one yet. Of course, I don't need it now, but I would like to read it. I just didn't have a chance yet. He wrote a number of articles uh, published in the 80s, I believe, on the subject. The first one, I have it here with his autograph, actually, Metabolic Abnormalities in Patients with Chronic Candidiasis, the Acetylaldehyde Hypothesis. And, uh, gosh, when it was published. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. I think it was oh, 1983. He published several articles on the subject. So um, the long story short, uh, I saw a dramatic improvement in myself, and Bob uh, recovered very quickly as well because it turns out that we caught it very early before um, – the uh, we we didn't have those symptoms for many many years. They we didn't have that much damage done to our bodies. So we were able, and we were still well, relatively young in our early 40s. We were able to uh, recover quickly, and we were absolutely religious about the regime that has to be followed to really fully recover. And so. Um, after, I believe, half a year, I was basically symptoms-free. I, I had my life back, which is absolutely amazing. You don't know how bad you feel until you start feeling better again. And then you look back and you realize how many things you gave up on doing, how limited your life became because of the debilitating condition that took over your life. And uh, then I realized how... Um, significant it was and how significant the improvement was. And so I looked back and I said, well, okay, there is still that uh, connection. My uh, condition started after I met my ex-husband. And then I start to 
um, experience more and more symptoms. And then I pass them on to Bob, to my uh, uh, current husband, who never had uh, any contact with my ex-husband. So uh, it has to be a mildly contagious condition that originated with my ex-husband. So then I started to think about it, and uh, I realized that basically he also had so many symptoms of chronic candidiasis. He had terrible, I mean terrible problems with his um, uh, GI. Uh, I think at some point in, in in life he was diagnosed by one of the physicians uh, with um, irritable bowel syndrome. He constantly was popping uh, tums and rollates, um, and um, he had uh, really, um, um, he was sweating a lot, and uh, he had uh, always skin problems. Uh, he had um, fungal uh, skin diseases that he constantly was fighting and was unable to fight because they would just keep coming back. He had a toenail fungus all his life. And so then I started to think about all those things, and I said, well, okay, so we established that he had uh, a chronic polysystemic candidiasis, and I got it from him. And it is a mildly contagious disease. And uh, sharing um, a towel, uh, sharing the same bed, uh, rubbing your skin off uh, in sheets of the same bed, uh, using uh, the same kitchen utensils, spoons, uh, you know, it it can be casual contact over a period of time. Um, it will cause the same uh, uh, this effect. So then I started to uh, think about it, and I said, "Well, is it possible that um, the uh, candida was uh, a reason why he developed Parkinson's? Would that be a part of the equation? Because there was no." family history in, in, in his family of, of uh, Parkinson's. Uh, he, was, uh, he was in his early 40s. Uh, average, I believe, average uh, age of onset of, of Parkinson's is, is it 67 or it might be even higher. Oh, I think Robert? it's a little younger than that because um, more and more young people are beginning to develop symptoms. So maybe 60 or uh, thereabouts. Oh really? So it went down because I I believe yeah, at yeah, that time it was it was mid sixties, mid upper. 60s. Yeah. Now, I think it, I think it is getting uh, lower and lower, and many you know teenagers and people in their twenties are developing the symptoms. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's I guess that's another argument to to my theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Um, so then uh, I started to look at it, and uh, and uh, I did discover a connection, which brings me right to my uh, biochemical aspect of it. But if you want to ask me more about uh, my 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 um, general story of my candida, uh, I don't want to jump to the next 
subject. Right, because we've got the scientific part that we want to be sure and cover as well, uh, you know, right. following up on your particular article. I think some people uh, may still be a bit stumped about exactly where candida comes from. So you've explained that there you can actually be exposed to it from casual contact, but it's also something that you can get from eating food. Is not that right? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, well, so it's basically was, a live my, yeast. That... Right, exactly. My my uh, source of my problems with candida was from contact with my uh, ex-husband, but uh, you can develop the problem all on your own. And... Um, it's um, basically it's any combination of, of uh, several factors, and it could be um, well long-term use of, of broad-spectrum antibiotics. I've seen uh, a lot of articles uh, online talking about people when they're teenagers they uh, develop acne, and doctors treat them with uh, I believe it's tetracycline. For a very long time, low doses of tetracycline to keep the acne at bay. That is apparently a perfect recipe for just wiping out your healthy gut flora and replacing it with candida. Now, don't get me wrong. Candida is present in uh, a healthy person's uh, GI tract. It is needed. Actually, we need candida albicans as a part of our intestinal flora. So it's not that evil entity that invades us. It's just the balance of uh, the percentage of uh, how much of that candida is a part of uh, your gut flora. That That is the question. Because if you have a, a, a broad-spectrum long-term antibiotics, that basically kills all the bacteria because antibiotics are fungi. And so they kill the bacteria. That's the other side of the uh, nystatin story. So what is left is the fungi that will not uh, be killed off by antibiotics. And then candida, basically, it's it's uh, kind of filling out the vacuum principle. If there is nothing um, left in your stomach but the uh, candida, then it will take over eventually. So if you take broad-spectrum antibiotic, it's a really huge predisposing factor. Now, I'm, I'm getting into uh, some medical stuff, and I just want to make sure that uh, you and your listeners understand uh, that I'm not a medical professional. This is my story, and this is my opinion. This is what I think. By, by no means I am uh, giving any medical advice to anybody. That I, I can give my advice what me, Lydia Epp, would do if I would be in that situation again. But uh, this is not a medical opinion. I am not a medical professional. But these are conclusions that I came to by dealing with the problems myself. So exposure to antibiotics and uh, casual contact with somebody who has it and also foods, being ingesting certain foods, foods exactly. with yeast. You know, I, I believe that we are all part of uh, nature, and nature likes balance. And if we don't have a balanced diet, it it can cause, um, well, bad things happening with our body. And I, I really believe that. Um, 
so, it, it, but I don't know which one comes first, chicken or the egg. Is it a candida that causes you to crave certain foods and keep your diet off balance? Or you keep your diet off balance so then candida is more likely to grow. Because if you eat a lot of refined carbohydrates, uh, if you eat a lot of sugar, flour, um, uh, simple carbohydrates, that uh, this is what candida needs to, that's food for candida, basically, to put it simply. So uh, it, once candida starts growing, it depletes your body of sugars. So then you crave them more, and you really don't crave them for yourself, but rather for the invading organism that depletes your body from a normal balance of those uh, because you do need some carbohydrates. Uh, it's part of, it should be part of your healthy diet. But if candida utilizes all of it, metabolizes it um, itself, then your body craves that. And if your body craves you eat more and then you feed more candida, so candida grows really quickly. And so it's a vicious cycle. Uh, so, yes, that diet is a very important component, but uh, does it come as a result of your candida problem, or you develop candida problem because of your diet? I am not sure. But it is. And the candida are not the candida are not just residing in the uh, GI tract, as I understand it. They float all over the body and create problems, as you were just de- describing earlier. Well, yes, that is. That is my understanding. That's, I believe that's what happens, but uh, don't tell that to any uh, uh, traditional medicine uh, GI specialist because you will laugh. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. They well, I a, do not believe in such a thing. But, yes, I believe that it starts in your GI, and then it spreads out throughout the uh, tissue. Really, I, I think I, I had a candida in my uh, uh, lungs. That's why I had a hard time breathing. I never had it oh, before. I never had it again. But during that time when I had really um, severe candida infection, I could hardly breathe. It was like somebody pushed on my chest uh, with a fist and prevent me from breathing in. It, it literally its that kind of feeling. And uh, I never had that before. I never had it again. So I believe I had uh, a candida growing somewhere in in my uh, uh, respiratory tract. I, I, I do believe it. Several years ago, I aired a radio show where I did talk about candida, and I had a passion for going on a candida-restricted diet and you know, taking some other treatments to resolve candida issues I had. And the curiosity for me was, uh, ever since I'd been a child, I'd had these spots. I thought they were freckles on my arms. They're pretty dark, and they were all over the place. And I just thought I was a pretty speckly guy. When I went through the treatment protocol, I began to notice after just a week or two that the spots were beginning to dissolve, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my arms right now, and they're pretty freckle-free. I mean, I really yeah. I don't have any freckles there at all. So oh, no, what is that? Any... I mean, what are, the, what are those dark spots anyway? Yeah, no, exactly. I don't have any uh, dark uh, blotches on my skin anymore. Now, interestingly enough, my ex-husband always had those uh, kind of dissolved kind of, they were kind of freckle like freckles, but not so uh, round and pronounced as regular freckles are. But these were basically 
darker blotches on the skin. Yes, he had it. And uh, it never, for me, it was very characteristic when it comes to skin. Um, it is that uh, I stopped tanning. I think uh, Candida uh, utilizes pigments from your skin. So you lose ability to tan during summer. And me being uh, you know, person that spends a lot of time outdoors, I noticed that in the end of the summer, I used to be dark. And I know skin cancer, but I didn't care much for that. <laughs> All the SPS, and I said, oh, well, if I burn, then you know, so be it. But I, I was not tan at the end of the summer. Uh, so the, it, that is another little piece of my theory, that Candida takes away pigments from skin. So uh, if you notice that back when you were younger or some few years back you did tan and now you cannot, it, it's another, um, well, a piece of evidence that it could be the case, that uh, you have uh, something... Uh, that invades your skin, that prevents um, uh, skin from natural process of tanning, which requires pigment. Another thing that is very important, um, uh, the um, candida is, um, uh, if if you have such a severe infection, because uh, if you're experiencing all those symptoms, the infection is severe. And it's chronic, but it's it's a severe infection. And... um, it is a fungal infection. Your body is trying to fight it off, and that's why I developed, and many people I know they do too, develop those allergies because your uh, autoimmune system is is just uh, out of control, doesn't know what to do with this. And then you develop aller- food allergies, um, chemical allergies. You can become allergic to smells, uh, the sense, and uh, is, there are some women that became allergic to their perfumes. So uh, your immune s- system is is just say, okay, I'm on overload. I just don't know what to do, so I'm going to react to everything, or I'm not going to react to anything. And that is so true with when it comes to the, um, um, the fungal diseases. So uh, people that have candida often develop other fungal diseases because the immune system just gives up on uh, fungal antigens and say, okay, I guess these are just parts of my skin. This this is part of my body now. So I have to allow them to exist. And uh, people with candida infections uh, will have uh, toenail fungus, ringworm, um, tinea corporis. There is a lot of different fungal conditions that are uh, secondary to that, and that basically uh, is a result of your body's lack of defense against uh, fungal organisms in general. So, um, that I do. I, I had actually I had a really bad case of ringworm that I promptly gave to to my husband. So there is a lot of those different components that come into play, and when you start following that trail, it suddenly it just all falls in place, and it's like, oh wow, I have this, and I have that. Oh yes, that's right. I didn't know it was connected, but suddenly it's it's like a big puzzle that you suddenly look at it and you see a big picture. When before it was just little pieces that you would never put together as a part of the same issue. 
you have explained quite eloquently the causes of candida in the body and also explained the use of this antibiotic powder, which was a treatment uh, that was actually prescribed by Dr. Truss, but also mentioned that was part of the treatment. What else did you have to do in order to rid yourself of this overabundance of candida in your body as well as Bob's body? Right. Uh, well, we uh, again, I would uh, uh, refer to the uh, uh, missing diagnosis, Dr. Trust's book. He has it spell it out in detail. But uh, in general, basically, you don't eat carbohydrates. You um, uh, starve candida because that's what candida needs to metabolize to in order to multiply to live. Uh, this is a food that it will utilize that, um, it, you know, it needs in, in order to, to keep invading your, your, your um, uh, tissues. So if you, serve, if you starve the organism by um, not ingesting anything that candida can metabolize to support its life cycle, then you basically, well, you basically you starve it to death. And then whatever is not killed off by the lack of food, you uh, kill it off with the uh, antifungal medication. And it is a very, very rigorous uh, prescription for uh, candida cure. But it, 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 believe me, I can, I don't know how can I stress it more. You cannot cheat. You cannot say, well, I'm just going to have this donut today, and then I will go back on my diet tomorrow. I suppose it works, if could work, if you try just to lose some weight. But if you are on um, a, a, a anti-candida regimen, you absolutely cannot do that. It is like start, starting all over again. So uh, it is a, really a draconian diet, but it works. And uh, you have to... Commit yourself 100%, my gosh, 150%. You cannot say, today I'm going to take it easy on myself. I'm going to put some sugar in my coffee. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I really, really like that pizza place, so I'm just going to have one slice. You cannot do that. And it requires a great deal of knowledge. So I really had to sit down and educate myself. There are, there are books. You can buy them online. And uh, it became uh, sort of my Bible. I walk around with this until I learn everything. It's a, a, a big book with lists of all the food items. And it has the um, carbohydrate and sugar content, and, and of course, cal- calories and um, whatever else. But what you need to focus on is uh, carbohydrates and sugars. And uh, you have to stay on about 50 to 60 milligrams a day. Believe it, it's nothing. It, it, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, uh, uh, one teaspoon of sugar, that's it. It's really hard, and you would not believe where carbohydrates are hidden. Do you know how much sugar is in the spaghetti sauce? I a lot, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry? A lot, I think, isn't it? Yes, it is. It, it, 
there is uh, there are food that you would never think that has high uh, carbohydrate content. They do. You have to read every label of every food item that you're going to eat, and you have to basically uh, walk around with a calculator, and uh, if by lunch you exceeded your uh, or you are at your uh, maximum for the day, then you just stick with, uh, you know, salad, and it can be uh, tomatoes have a lot of sugar. Carrots have a lot of sugar, so not every vegetable will work. Um, I have to tell you, it's a wonderful diet. I lost 20 pounds. Actually, I lost more than I wanted that I should have. I, I, I was pretty skinny at the end of a diet, and I stayed on that diet for two years. But uh, it, it is, um, you learn do's and don'ts. You learn what you can eat and what you cannot. And then it becomes easier. First few months, it, it's, it's terrible. And also you have the die-off um, uh, phenomenon where the candida starts to die off, and uh, you feel terrible. You actually feel sick. You can even run fever, and I did for a few days. I, I felt like I have a flu, and that is um, it's probably not very uh, kind of good way to um, appealing way to put it, but if you have flowers sitting in the vase and they start to die, they uh, give out all kinds of smells and odors and gases, and basically that's what uh, candida does. When it starts to die off, it gives out all those toxins, and it, it, you feel sick because suddenly the living organism that used to invade you uh, is dying out. And uh, it, it, for some people, I heard it can take up to two weeks. For me, it was maybe three or four days. I felt terrible. But if you stick through, um, stick with this uh, diet through that period of time, after a few weeks, suddenly there is a dramatic improvement. And that, that was very encouraging to me because the diet is so draconian. But you did stick with this, it uh, sounds like, for two years. So you were in yeah. it for the long haul. Well, um, I hate to say it, but it is not a quick fix. You cannot do the candida diet for a week and uh, next Monday wake up and be healthy. There is no quick fixes there. There is no easy and and miracle pill that you take and uh, everything is good or you stay on the diet for in a short period of time and, and you wake up couple weeks from now and you're feeling great um it is a long haul but uh it, it can be done let me tell you i i'm enjoying my dark chocolate i'm enjoying um heck i enjoy pizza occasionally so i i'm not uh, on a diet anymore at all now it did teach me um how to eat wiser i i'm i, I when i go to the grocery store I still shop looking at the labels. I don't buy food that are high in refined uh, sugars, uh, refined carbohydrates. I do eat much healthier as a result of that, but I think it's good. And it really has nothing to do with candida anymore, but uh, I just feel much better. And uh, if you stay on that candida diet, eventually you can go up on uh, carbohydrates up to, I don't know, 100 milligrams a day or something. So 
um, after a few months, uh, you can ease your body in back into some of that. And if you feel relapse, if you start to feel sluggish, you feel bloated, you start to feel symptoms of candida again, then you have to back up, of course. But first several months, it's, it's very strict, and there is no quick answers how to you know get rid of it really fast. At least I'm if you'd like to ask Lydia Epp a question, you can call toll-free right now. This is a live program, and that toll-free number is 877-590-0733, or you can connect through your computer using Skype. In 2006, Lydia, you published uh, an article titled Chronic Polysystemic Candidiasis is a possible contributor to onset idiopathic Parkinson's disease. Tell everybody about your discoveries that you convey in that published article. Yes, I. Uh, well, like I said, I uh, contacted my ex-husband. Oh, I guess I didn't go to that part of the story. I contacted my ex-husband and I told him about uh, my findings that I believe it was uh, candida, and I also believe that there is a connection between the candida. And the uh, is Parkinson's, and uh, I will tell you this story in just a second. But I will just tell you this about my ex-husband. He immediately, because like I said, he's a geneticist. He immediately um, he listened to me carefully, and he says, "You're right. You're absolutely right. I think you just uh, figured out how to help me out with my Parkinson's." And at that time, he was. Um, uh, well, it, it, from what he told me, he was uh, was not working professionally anymore. He was unable to do that. Um, he had the deep brain stimulation, uh, which didn't really work. Uh, didn't give him the results that everybody was telling him uh, that he would experience. And um, uh, he was uh, he was having a really rough time with with the uh, Parkinson's that was really devastating him. Um, and uh, he went to see Dr. Truss as well. And uh, apparently from what I was told by our my old friends who uh, run into my ex-husband, said that the uh, it was astonishing. It was so such a dramatic improvement. She called me and she said, I could not believe my eyes. Um, what a remarkable improvement it was. And, of course, she asked him what happened, and uh, he told her that um, I contacted him with, with my theory that he followed through, and there he is. Uh, I don't know how is he doing now, but uh, I understand a few years ago I had um, uh, I had I received some information from another friend of mine. Uh, she says that he's doing great. And uh, it is my understanding that he, just like me and Bob, stayed on a very strict anti-candida diet. He took the nystatin, or he was Dr. Truss's uh, patient, so whatever was the Dr. Truss's um, therapy for him, he followed that. Um, he no longer um, took the uh, needed the deep, bra deep brain stimulation, and uh, I have to tell you, he told me that uh, a little story, and I hope he doesn't mind that I will share that with you because I think it really is a good one. Uh, he went to um, the hospital; uh, it was University Hospital that they had the uh, the uh, deep brain uh, stimulator implanted, 
And I understand, so, so as I understand the procedure, you have like a remote control, a switch that you can uh, turn it on and off. And they were doing some tests um, and ask him to turn it on first, and then they will go through some mobility tests. How is he doing? And uh, uh, he followed through uh, their directions, and uh, uh, they they did the test on 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 his um, mobility, and they said, "Oh, well, you are doing great. You see, there is a significant improvement." Uh, and uh, then he said, "Well, I have a surprise for you." I didn't turn it on. It was off. <laughs> That's a funny and story. And they got mad at him. Oh, I bet. Yeah. They say, "What? What did you? What did you do that for? It messes up our statistics." Right. Right. <laughs> and he says, "Well, aren't you excited? I am much better, and I can tell you. If you ask me, I can tell you why I'm better. I found the reason why." I found the cause of my Parkinson's, and I'm curing it right now. Don't you want to know? But they didn't even listen. They were so busy looking at the monitor and 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 uh, being so concerned about how that's going to throw off all the statistics on on the messed up the data set. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. How do you correct that then? <laughs> that's really yeah. They, quite they were funny not indeed. excited about his miracle. Right. Improvement. They were excited. I mean, they were concerned about, uh, you know, how could it be that uh, he didn't turn it on and now they put it in the wrong column and how it's going to look. So um, my understanding is uh, that he got much better and he was on his way uh, to, I don't know whether it's a full recovery. I have a feeling he had it for so many years and there was so much uh, damage done to his uh, central nervous system, but it's just my guess that he will not be able to fully recover his um, uh, motor motion, uh, motor uh, ability. So he will probably still have some stiffness, maybe some pain. I don't know. I I, I, I haven't heard from him. But um, it was my understanding last time I talked to him, I believe it was four years ago, that he is doing remarkably better. And so this is the uh, Parkinson's? This is the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network, and so that's a wonderful story of recovery of an individual who clearly was experiencing some challenging symptoms. So he got better, you got better, and just to be clear, Bob also, as I understand it as well, is that is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was very early in, in the, the whole vicious cycle, so he recovered first, actually. And then it took me a little longer to get to the point where I'm back to normal. But I'm absolutely back to where I was before, and if I wouldn't have my scar from my back surgery, you would never know I had any health problems. I don't have any allergies. I don't know what migraines are. I uh, can. We live out uh, in the country, and so when the uh, uh, allergy season starts, this is just as bad as it gets, but I don't have any allergies. I don't even never take Benadryl anymore. I uh, spend a lot of time outdoors, and I do tan. Um, I have no skin problems. Uh, quite frankly, um, I am a very healthy middle-aged person right now. I ha- I take no medicine of any kind, uh, and I am not on any diet other than I am watching my diet because I now I know that carbohydrates are not such a good thing for you to 
eat in excess, and I just don't like them. I don't like the sweet taste anymore because I'm not used to sugar anymore, and I don't want to teach myself again to be used to that. So um, I'm I'm doing great, and Bob is fine, and as far as I can tell, uh, my ex-husband is doing much better. Tell us more about what you've discovered then from a scientific and medical point of view about the connection between candidiasis and uh, the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Yes, well, medical point uh, I cannot tell you because, like I said, I'm not a medical professional, but I will tell you uh, from scientific point of view the best I understand. I, uh, uh, since I uh, contacted my ex-husband I, and uh, he noticed this uh, uh, dramatic improvement, I realized that I was right and there is a strong connection. So then I started to think, well, uh, so what does candida do in your body when it metabolizes? What are the uh, 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 products of its uh, metabolism? And it will be one of the things that it gives out in huge amounts acetylaldehyde, which is a form of alcohol. And that's why oftentimes people that have candida kind of feel like they had a glass of wine because that's basically the same mechanism. And uh, acetylaldehyde... it, what it does, it uh, converts dopamine into something called salicylinol, and I am not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm, uh, I don't know what is really the uh, correct way to pronounce it, so I'm, I apologize for me sounding a little funny. But uh, salicylinol is a, a selective neurotoxin, and what it does, it um, triggers apoptosis of dopaminergic neurons. Apoptosis is a fancy name for um, programmed cell death. Uh, Cells are kind of like little computers of sorts, and they have all kinds of programs running to multiply, replicate, grow, whatever. And also uh, they have a program called apoptosis when it's time to die they engage into that program, which um, basically is a cascade of biochemical uh, processes that basically tells um, a cell to well, start dying. And uh, the salicylinol uh, is um, a compound, uh, it's a chemical, that will trigger that apoptosis signal in dopaminergic um, in uh, neuro, dopaminergic neurons. So it's not that it will cause any A cell to die. It specifically targets um, neurons that are uh, associated with dopamine dopamine receptors. So um, there is a vicious cycle, basically, and if you look at it, it's a very straightforward, actually, chain reaction. And uh, there are uh, reports um, in uh, scientific uh, papers that um, salicylinol is uh, uh, increased in uh, the presence, the level of salicylinol is increased in um, spinal fluid of uh, people with Parkinson's disease, and it also is present uh, in uh, urine of uh, PD patients. So there is is, uh, evidence that that is indeed the uh, chain of events. 
And then I started to um, look for papers on the subject, and to my astonishment, I didn't find any. Nobody wrote about it. And I was just uh, completely uh, puzzled. Why? And maybe I'm missing something. Uh, after all, I don't work in uh, neuropathology, so what do I know? Then I started to write uh, emails to whoever wants to listen to me, and that was mostly um, uh, scientists that work in the field of uh, uh, Parkinson's pathology. And eventually, after knocking on a lot of different doors and people uh, basically not being um, very receptive to my theory, who am I and why am I uh, interested in that? And I'm sorry, what is your name again? Oh, ex-husband, I see. And uh, finally, I wrote to Dr. Boris Mravitz in um, Slovakia. He is a distinguished uh, professor there uh, of uh, immunopathology and endocrinology. And I wrote, and at that point I was, I didn't care anymore, so I just wrote him an email and I explained it to him uh, in, a, well, fairly scientific terms, I hope. And uh, I, But I told him the whole story, and that included my ex-husband's story. And I didn't really expect to, to hear from him. Uh, I thought it will be another one of those, um, uh, you know, my attempts to, to have somebody get interested in the subject. Next day, I got an email from Dr. Mravitz. He says, your, um, oh gosh, I wish I would still have that email because I had to read it five times until it finally sank in. He says, you have a groundbreaking theory. You are absolutely correct. It is my assessment that your theory is absolutely correct. Would you like to write a paper? And uh, it took me, like I said, five times to read the email until I realized, oh, my gosh, he believes me. And uh, that's how it all uh, started. And uh, we uh, emailed back and forth. Basically, I wrote the article. Uh, his English is, well, sometimes not very fluent. So um, I wrote an article. He corrected a few things from the, you know, factual point of view. And uh uh, we uh, got it published in his um, university because I didn't have any funds for, for publishing anything. And since this is just a theoretical paper, this is not a, any kind of case study, and um, uh, there is no experiments to support our theory. So it's basically a call for uh, papers. It's, uh, if somebody is interested out there, they can take it and run with it. Uh, I think it's a, it's a valid theory. However, at that point, um, when I wrote that paper, I thought um, that was the connection. Now I look back and I know that it is one of the many connections. Uh, the uh, whole process, the biochemical interaction between candida metabolites and uh, dopamine receptors and the symptoms of Parkinson's, it is a very complex, multi-level um, biochemical process. And I have uh, further um, thoughts on uh, how this biochemical processes take place. There is something called tissue transglutaminase, and it's a very hot topic now in the um, field of uh, neuropathology. 
there is a very straightforward connection between uh, tissue transglutaminase and uh, celiac disease, which is now connected uh, or implicated in the onset of um, the candida is implicated in the onset of celiac disease. And tissue transglutaminase is identified as the autoantigen in celiac disease, which uh, people didn't know about that before. And tissue transglutaminase uh, is catalyzes the formation of alpha-synuclein uh, crosslinks in Parkinson's disease. So there is, uh, a, I don't know if you uh, are familiar with, uh, and I'm sorry, I apologize for my pronunciation, Levi bodies. It's, mm-hmm. um, it, it's um, alpha-synuclein um, uh, uh, aggregates in the brain of people with Parkinson's disease. And uh, it's, it, it is, um, it catalyzes, it's catalyzed by tissue transglutaminase. So uh, there is another very straightforward biochemical pathway that links candida with celiac disease, with chronic candidiasis, and with Parkinson's. So uh, I think the process is very complex, and uh, what I found out is just a little tip of an iceberg, and the iceberg is still underwater, but it's all connected. That's what I believe at this point. So transglutaminase, or TTG, is basically something that plays a role in candida's life cycle. Is that right? Well, yes. It is, um, and I have here, it is uh, C. albicans, uh, it's function, uh, candida albicans function, uh, it stimulates the antibody formation um, against tissue transglutaminase, TTG. So it causes, as a result, it causes inflammation in the guts, and the inflammation in the guts is caused by candida, okay? And then um, it uh, causes your body to start producing the tissue transglutaminase. And tissue transglutaminase, in turn, it induces, uh, it catalyzes the uh, formation of the um, they call it Levi's Levi bodies. It's, huh? it's a hallmark hallmark of Parkinson's disease in the brain. So it, it basically it causes uh, dopamine receptors to die and form those those uh, 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 aggregates in the in the substantia nigra. So uh, it, it the candida starts the cascade that ends with, well, of course, the acetaldehyde from my previous paper, but it also, one of the things that it does, it induces your body to start producing tissue transglutaminase, which is also associated, um, and that, there's a lot of papers on that, with the uh, tissue injury. Well, your 
uh, lining of your intestine is injured in a way by candida albicans because it actually adheres to the uh, um, intestine walls. So uh, it, it starts a cascade of events, and this is just another biochemical pathway of the same process, which is very complex, and I'm sure I don't understand it fully. I don't think anybody understands it fully yet, and there is really no papers linking all of that together. There are papers on celiac disease and candida albicans. There, is a paper, there are papers on tissue transglutaminase and uh, cross-links with Parkinson's disease. There is uh, identification of tissue transglutaminase, alloantigen, and celiac disease. But all those dots, nobody connected them yet and published it. And I... I uh, I actually contacted Dr. Mravitz, but he says this is really out of his field of expertise, and I need to find somebody who specializes in transglutaminase to see if my theory is correct. And I did. And that um, professor whom I contacted, he specializes in uh, tissue transglutaminase as it uh, relates to pathology of uh, neuropathology of Parkinson's disease. And he was very excited after I explained him uh, that possible connection. And uh, actually, he was excited to the point that he says, hey, I have some money left over from one of my grants. Why don't I uh, run a small study on the rat model and see if uh, uh, I can generate some data to get a grant to study just that, which, which is fantastic. It's more than I hoped for. And he says, well, you know, what would really uh, help our cause if we have a case study. I said, you know what, let me contact somebody. I might have a, a case study for you, a patient, Parkinson's patient, that actually is geneticist and understands everything uh, that we're talking about right now. And I'm sure he will be willing to participate as a case study. And uh, so the, the professor says, well, that's fantastic. So who is it? I said, well, it is my ex-husband. And that was the last time I heard from the guy. And uh, it, the word ex-husband closes all the doors. And uh, it is true. It was my ex-husband. I cannot deny it. But the theory has nothing to do who was it and what relationship I have with that person. It is still, I believe, a valid theory. And I think I got something there. But, you know, what can I do? So it would be nice to find some collaborators, uh, some people who are willing to take this to the lab and do some rat studies and, you know, carry that further and do some case studies, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is really not my field. I am a molecular biologist, but I don't specialize in that field. This is totally out of my area of expertise. I can read a paper and understand it, but I, that, this is not what I do for a living. I know. Right. I I would love to hand it over to somebody who knows more on the subject of uh, neuropathology of Parkinson's, and who has the money and energy and interest in doing this. That would be fantastic because I believe there is something there. But uh, you know, I, I I and I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken. But uh, the fact that my ex-husband. Uh, myself and my husband, my, Bob, we are all doing better. 
I think that's a proof in itself that uh, maybe my theory was the correct one. Yes, indeed. It does sound like that's the case, that you do have some case study evidence in its own right. I had a conversation with an individual about a year or so ago, and the conversation went like this. I have a terrible fungus on my foot that's uh, been between my toes for now several years. Do you think that has any connection to the neurological symptoms I'm currently experiencing? I think what you're suggesting is the answer is yes, there is a connection. Am I summarizing that correctly? Yes, it could be a connection. It could be that your immune system just doesn't recognize fungal organisms as an invading, as an antigen, something that they need to fight. It needs to fight because you have the fungal organism. It is different, but it's still a fungal organism. It's constantly present in your body, and your immune system say, "Oh, it's one of those guys. It's okay." You see, it's it. Uh, you basically do not have a normal immune response to fungal uh, diseases. So I do know that, um, and there are publications, uh, that uh, people with um, candida or people with Parkinson's have problems with fungal diseases like skin conditions, toenail fungus, and look, I'm not saying that all the uh, Parkinson's cases are induced by candida, but by no means I'm saying that I don't know what percentage of Parkinson's um, cases are uh, connected with candida. I believe that candida is a very potent um, uh, component of the picture, and um it uh it is uh it produces neurotoxin and if um on top of that you have other predisposing factors you will develop uh parkinsons eventually but it, parkinsons could be i think it's a name for a symptom and the causes of those symptoms can be different um it could be a traumatic head injury uh what is the muhammad ali I believe his his uh, story is completely different and it's right. completely un, unrelated to Candida. Um, I have to tell you, another predisposing factor that uh, my ex-husband had was, in my mind, uh, that's my uh, take on it, uh, he was a, a long-distance runner, so he wanted to stay lean and, and uh, not gain weight, especially when he was, he wants uh, training for a race or whatever. Um, he liked his tea really sweet, so he didn't want to put sugar in it. He put um, aspartame in huge quantities. And uh, I don't know if I can say it on your radio, but I will say it. Well, of course I you can. <laughs> I believe that aspartame is a very potent neurotoxin. It is just the worst thing that you can put in your mouth. It is um, um, uh, documented that it is um, selective neurotoxin. And the amount of uh, uh, aspartame that he took was, it was huge. It, it, he, Like I said, he liked his tea really sweet, and he liked two or three teas a day. So he took 
huge quantities of whatever is a NutraSweet or yeah. Um, so there was another predisposing fa- factor to to his Parkinson's. But yes, I believe that um, fungal uh, candida infection is a huge predisposing factor to to uh, uh, Parkinson's. But it might not be enough to trigger the onset of 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 PD. Maybe there is other. Maybe you need another um, uh, factors that will favor the development of PD. That will the straw that breaks the camel. Um, in my ex-husband's case, that was the aspartam. But it, it could be different things for different people. For instance, uh, farmers that are exposed to uh, pesticides in uh, huge quantities that could be uh, a contributing very large contributing factor. So I think it's, it's different for different people. We all, our all, uh, our bodies are different. Our weak points are in different places. So uh, it, it, I think it, PD is just uh, the kind of very general description of, of symptoms that can be caused by any number of things. But going back to your question, yes, I, I, I think that uh, a chronic infection with candida does lower immune response to other uh, fungal conditions like skin conditions. So it, it probably is associated. Lydia F., this has been a most fascinating discussion for me. I've been on the edge of my seat the entire hour and a half. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to tell us your story and being a guest on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure, and I hope uh, listeners took some information from it and they they found it useful. And it is indeed a groundbreaking revelation, and it encourages anyone and everyone who suspects that they may have a candida issue to investigate that much more seriously and aggressively. Given the story that there are three individuals whose health has returned completely and totally, that's a motivation in itself to be able to know much more about the devastating effects that candida can have on your health and wellness. For those of you that are looking uh, for further information about candida, I do have information in the revision of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. You can get that if you visit Amazon, or you can see more information about the second edition of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease by visiting parkinsonsdisease.me. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery by virtue of the fact you're listening to this show. Have a marvelous week, and we look forward to connecting with you on Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. This is Robert Rogers. This is Parkinson's Recovery. Good day.